Welcome to another episode of Yesterday's Capers. I'm Abdullah Molim, and every week I'll be bringing you the very best shows from the past that the world has to offer. It's the last back to school episode, and we're going out with a bang and a tune as we put 15 up against Fame. That's right, baby, remember the name. And we take a special look at Biker, 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 Grove. That's right, we'll look back at this incredible Geordie institution. And of course, that means Anton Deck. Watch us wreck the mic, watch us wreck the mic, watch us wreck the mic. Psych. Oh, it's going to be a fun episode. So, let's get started. And uh, joining me as ever is producer Paul. Hey man, how's it going? A more easier week this week than uh, previous weeks. What, for the shows? I mean, for the for the shows and for like life, really. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm getting busier at work every day. It's just like it's absolutely relentless. But yeah, as I said in the uh, intro, it is the last of the uh, of the school's month, and it's it's been a pretty fun fun month, and we've done some damn good shows. And I know we we, we definitely did a a couple this week, and. Um, yeah, it's it's more focused on like extracurricular stuff and stuff outside of of school, and uh, we're going to kick things off with Fame. So the TV series Fame came out in January 1982, and some of the things happening in the world: the Commodore 64 8-bit home computer is launched by Commodore International in Las Vegas. Amazing console, and it becomes the all-time best-selling single personal computer model the second brutal cold snap of the winter sends temperatures to all-time record lows in dozens of cities in the united kingdom it includes the national record from february 1895 being equaled and it would be equaled again in december 1995 a winter i actually remember and yeah it was hella cold the first computer virus, the Elk Cloner, was written by 15-year-old Rich Skrenter, is found, and it infects Apple II computers via floppy disk. Vice Squad was in the cinemas. And Golden Brown by the Stragglers, or the Stranglers, was in the charts. So fame. So this was a American TV series by Elena Productions in association with Metro Goldwyn Mayer Television or MGM and sponsored by Yamaha Musical Instruments, which are prominently showcased in the episode. The show is based on the 1980 motion picture of the same name. Using a mixture of drama and music, it follows the lives of the students and faculty at the New York City High School for the Performing Arts a fictional establishment that based heavily on the actual Fiorello H. LaGuardia High School of Music and Art and Performing Arts. Most interior scenes were filmed in Hollywood, and in all the scenes except the third, the show filmed several exterior scenes on location in New York City. The popularity of the series around the world, most notably in the United Kingdom, led to several hit records and live concert tours by the cast, and despite its success, few of the actors actually maintained high-profile careers after the series was cancelled. Several of the cast members were seen again briefly in Bring Back Fame, which is a reunion special made for Channel 4 in the United Kingdom in 2008. Despite glowing reviews from critics, ratings were less than impressive, 
and NBC cancelled it after only two seasons. However, by special arrangement with LBS Communication, MGM revived the series in 1983, where it continued for four more seasons. Ira Stephen Bear, who wrote 12 episodes of the series, said, and I quote, I did three years on Fame, which was a lot of fun and was also in syndication. We had no one looking over our shoulder. We got to do some wonderfully bizarre things on the show. And the only time they gave us any trouble was the last show. I was going to write after I knew we were cancelled. It was going to be Road Warrior meets Fame. It was a show that takes place in the future and you can only sing for the state. It was a fascist society and we were going to have motorcycles going through the school and have Iggy Pop as the guest star. It was great. And I was in the midst of writing the episode when somehow MGM read somewhere that we planned to burn down the sets, which was a lie. We were going to trash him a bit, but it wasn't the last episode. We had one more after that and they stopped me from writing it. I would have actually liked to have seen that episode, actually. Well, I mean, they burn down the set on EastEnders like every season. So, you know, what's the yeah, problem? EastEnders is like a regular thing. Listen, this, was, this obviously had a uh, an expiry date, whereas EastEnders seems to be going on forever and ever. So the show's theme song was a pop hit for singer Irene Cara, having been featured in the motion picture, a re-recorded version of the, of the theme song using similar instrumentation of the 1980s track was used in the series and sung by co-star Erica Gimple, who played Coco Hernandez. I think Irene Cara also had the uh, What A Feeling song as well. What a feeling. It's one of those songs where you know all the words whilst it's on in the car. <laughs> Out of the car, you instantly forget all the words. I Still Believe In Me from an episode of the series titled Passing Grade, was nominated for an Emmy Award for Best Original Song. It was performed by Erica Gimple and Debbie Allen and co-written by Gary Portnoy, who went on to co-write and sing the theme from Cheers. Okay. In the United Kingdom, two series credited to the kids from Fame, High Fidelity and Star Maker, peaked within the top 10 of the UK singles chart. Four cast members from the original movie appeared in the TV series, Lee Correri played the character Bruno Martelli, who's an introverted musical genius. Gene Anthony Ray portrayed Leroy Johnson, a tough hood from the project with a natural talent for dance, who muscles his way into an audition and wins. In the film, Leroy is also semi-illiterate, but this was dropped in favour of him having fourth grade reading level in the TV series. Albert Haig played teacher Benjamin Sharofsky, a German music teacher who constantly battled with Bruno Martelli over musical styles. The final cast member from the film was Debbie Allen, who portrayed dance instructor Lydia Grant. Allen only appeared briefly in the movie, but her character was expanded in series. She also became the show's original choreographer, in addition to directing several episodes and co-producing one season. Also, several characters were carried over from the movie, played by different actors. Irene Clark was offered the role of Coco Hernandez by the show's producers, but she politely declined as she wished to focus on developing her budding singing career. So, fame. I every time you say fame, I'm I'm thinking always believe in yourself every time. Why? Not like I don't want to live forever, but it's like fame. Always believe. Why? In your, I don't know. It just it just. I don't I don't get it. It just Gold, comes... It's like such yeah. a iconic standalone song fame is an iconic standalone songs 
there couldn't be any more different. I don't. I don't know. Um, isn't is gold? Is, is that Spandau Ballet? Has I made that up? Yes, it's a song. Gold. Always believe in your soul. You got the power to know. You're indestructible. Yeah. Uh, I I never seen Fame. I knew of it. Obviously, it's one of. It's very very iconic. Um, but as you know, you know, and you know, probably regular regular listeners do know. I don't like musicals, right? And this is, to all intents and purposes, a musical. That being said. It's a good one, and I really like the drama in between the musical interludes. And also, it's not it's not like a musical, like, it doesn't make sense that they're singing either. Like, I don't like things... Do you know when people just burst into a song for no reason and it has no reference point for the whole episode? This is different, so it's like, yeah. it kind of makes sense that they're singing and they're performing, and it's kind of a storyline driver. I'm not sure if there's a better word for, the, word for that, but... That's probably correct yeah. yeah so i mean i i didn't mind the singing too much so what you know the did go on a little bit but i i thought this was quite a quite a decent little show yeah i mean look i i initially get why people may not have watched it because obviously as you said fame is very a specific kind of film with a specific genre uh-huh. the remit is singing and dancing you're gonna get a lot of it during the show whether you want it or not, that's what it is. But the thing is, like these sort of shows make a resurgence every now and then, right? So, like, there's obviously there's Fame, High School Musical was a massive thing back in like early two thousands or or some maybe mid two thousands, um, and I'm sure there's been several others that um, that have surfaced over the years. So there seems to be kind of this want and need for this sort of show. So I can understand why it's popular. Yeah, and obviously a lot, of, a lot of people might have seen it on TV and thought, oh, fame, I didn't really like the film. It's not really my style, so I'm not going to watch it. But it's one of the things where if you actually sit down and watch it, yeah, I thought it was a hell of a show. I really liked it. I liked it a lot. It, 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 I was even tempted to go watch the film Fame. Off, off the back of, 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 of this TV show, I was willing to sit down and watch the film. It's something about kind of like the '80s style kind of shows where you know, like the Footloose. Is Footloose undefeated? 80s? Undefeated. What's undefeated? The '80s shows that we have done, particularly recently, like we have done some absolutely incredible TV shows. Ah, yeah, no, exactly. So, but then obviously you've got to look at the movies like Dirty Dancing and. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that genre. But uh, no, I think is I look. I, th- I think it has a very specific audience, and I think the audience yeah, would love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, of course. But they seem to be like knocking it out of the park. Yeah, but to the layman like us who may never watch a film, like I've never seen Footloose, I've never seen Dirty Dancing, I've never seen Fame, I've never gone out of my way to watch it. If it was ever on TV, I would turn the other channel. But I don't know. Maybe maybe I have to rethink that because this was this was this was damn good, and it it does follow the 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 the, the trend and the pattern of like really good 80 shows that we've done like off the top of my head, like St. Elsewhere. That was a damn good show. Cagney and Lacey was 80s we did recently. And that was a damn good show as well. So it's one of those things where there is something here with these 80s kind of shows. And I, there's so much more that we, we haven't done. And I, and I actually now can't wait to do because I'm thinking it didn't matter to me that it was so long. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I was not clock watching. I didn't mind the singing and the dancing one bit. It actually gave me an opportunity to catch up with my notes when they were doing all the singing and dancing. So something when they take the musical break, I know I can like write some stuff down because obviously they're just... You're not going to miss anything. No, in, no, in those, no. And yeah, because yeah, obviously when you're trying to write things down and you're trying to write 
certain names and characters and and so on and so forth then you just you don't want to you don't want to miss anything and when the musical stuff comes on then yeah you're you're not really missing anything so in that sense i yeah i i i thought it was a hell of a show really really did and uh right let's let's get right into episodes and uh the pilot was metamorphosis starts off kind of like performing art school as you said uh, setting this kind of an audition this is like an audition to see who gets in the school basically i think you can get like a not sure if they're on a scholarship or whatever but it's anyway who's getting in uh, and this this girl is like twirling i don't know what they call it it's called um it's called something isn't it when you can like twirl. i wrote, I wrote, I wrote twirlers yeah so they're twirling a baton and she's going this and that and the other and the teachers basically aren't too impressed and is, that, is just, there a demand for it yeah, no, exactly. And they said, well, if if I'm really good, then I get to be a cheerleader for a football team. And they were like, oh, God, you know, face palm kind of thing. Um, so she's not getting in for a start. She's not going to be part of the cast. Then Julie Miller comes in, who's kind of the protagonist kind of story pusher girl, comes in. And she plays the cello. I think it's the cello. I think the double bass is bigger, right? Yeah, she's playing the, she's playing the cello. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, the, uh, and then there's, um, is it Coco? Is that Coco there talking about working as yeah. an understudy? Yeah, yeah, working at, yeah, Coco talking about her time working in the summer, yeah. Yeah, so she's basically got a job in the summer working in a theatre and she has to do all like the grunt work, but she's also working as an understudy in case the actress that she's understudying like falls over or whatever. So she goes into the auditorium to find someone and that's where Julie's, play, Julie's playing. And the guy there, I don't still probably don't know his name. I th- Bruno. Bruno. Is it Bruno? The, the piano, watching the, the, he's called piano guy in my notes yeah yeah bruno bruno martinelli i think it is yeah so he's like or bruno martelli and she's talking to him and she's basically like shut up because i'm listening to this and he's like i like he's just like i don't didn't realize you're into this sort of music and it's like look, i'm into music what whatever music is good kind of thing uh, so then Julie's at home and she gets a taxi to school. She doesn't want to get a taxi to school, but her mum makes it because they don't know the neighbourhood and this and that and the other. And this is where you see that, you know, it's a high school of the arts. Uh, there's a kid in a red jacket who's called Garcia. Garcia? Garcia for short, right? Garcia. And he's like basically chatting. He's a chatter, this guy. Then there's this other kid, Leroy, and he's trying to sell stuff. Then in the classroom, Garcia's telling jokes and the teacher basically tells him off. And the word of today is pretentious. Um, so it's making, this is making claims or implicit, explicit or implicit to some distinction of importance, dignity or excellence. or And effectively superior and grand or ostentatious. So basically being like, you know, acting the big end, I think is the easier way to put that. Um, so Garcia is a chatty guy. Coco gets used to told gets told to use pretentious in a sentence, and then she says, like you know, in this big snotty old way, coming to school in a cab is pretentious. And then, <laughs> and I then, love that. Who is it that turns up and says, "Hey, I got a cab as well." And then they're like, "Yeah, but your dad owns a, owns the cab, so it doesn't count." And this is when, so they go to the locker, right? Have you noticed in like most? Not all, but most high school dramas set in an actual high school where you see the high school because that's not that's not actually a recurring theme today. But there's always a dodgy locker, always a dodgy locker. Yeah, and someone comes up and gives it the old rat tat tat, or you know, finds a little way. But anyway, so this is where you get introduced to this short guy who comes to help Julie called Little Rico, right? And they have a little chat, and he goes, and it's quite funny because he kind of plays on the fact that he's short, and he says, "I'm 
what does he say? I'm keyhole height, so I can see what's going on. So they basically have a chat, and he, he basically agrees to show her the ropes for like 10 easy lessons in the piano class. So this is where you see the Bruno guy. Who is this guy, by the way? Does he, he, he I kind of swear I recognize this guy. Anyway, so he's basically like, he's like kind of playing a piano, and he, he's playing on his own little, he, he's kind of like a cut above the rest. He, he's, he's, he's better than most of the people there are playing the piano, reading music, writing music, whatever, but he gets bored with the lessons, right? So he's getting bored with the kind of same old rigid structure. Now they're in um, ballet class, and this is where you get the, the teacher says like the, um, I guess it must be quite iconic part where it's like fame costs, and this is right, this is where you start paying right here with sweat or whatever. Then it goes to on a bus, and Julia's getting like pressed against, and what's that girl's name? What's that girl's name? Doris. So it's Doris, Rico, and Julie, uh, you know, on a bus, and this guy, you know, this creepy old guy is kind of pressing himself against Julie, and then Doris kind of just like pours hot tea or coffee or whatever it is on uh, on this guy, um, and he like, then they then they go away. And then she says, so the uh, next day, the word for this day is uh, deleterious. Deleterious, yeah. So Coco Hernandez makes a coffee on clothes comment to Julie. Uh, Larry gets told off for not, Leroy gets told off for not dressing properly in dance class. Basically, he doesn't want to wear tights. And I know that feeling because we had to wear tights when we were doing a, a school play on the Tudors. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They they did like if they did like tights, didn't they? Yeah. In the and, I, and I and I and I because I and I had like a prominent role in this play. This is like I was in year three. And you must have we, been at we, least six foot two by then as well, standing up against everyone. I, <laughs> I, I I I only shot up when I went to high school. I was I but you know actually I, I was I was a little bit tall back then. But then I think when we did the because uh, we did the Tudors play and we had to do it a lot of times because because it, it was a, like a. It was like my teacher's lifetime work kind of thing. So it was like literally the whole Tudors and Steward period. And my high of whole role was the first kind of like chunk of it. And I think we performed it in other schools as well. Like we went we went on the road with this stuff. And like I think my mum's ambition is to find that video. Because <laughs> somebody recorded that. It is out there somewhere. If you were in my class in cleveland in year three back in 96 or 97 and you have that video somewhere please send it to me I mean, yeah uh, we have to find not that, that, important, put it out not that important but uh, it's quite important I no think. And, and and we have to do green sleeves as well we have to do the actual green sleeves dance as well which was very i didn't even know there was a dance i know the green sleeves because yeah, it's obviously we, yeah, ice cream we, had, we had to do like a a, a, a a tudor style dance where we had to like hold hands or at least touch hands with like boys, girls or whatever. And we had to do the whole dance. And it was just, yeah, the whole thing was just very, very, I mean, it was good. Cause it's like, I, I learned all my lines. I had, I remember having a ton of lines and I just knew it off by heart, just reading it off it, rattling off it. I remember when we had to like shop for tights as well. It's just like, I had to, I, I think my mom had to like tell the person, look, he has to do it for school or whatever. I don't think, yeah, it was. It wasn't like a, a a deep thing or whatever. You just had to like wear it under your clothes and garments or whatever. And were they coloured? Like full Tudor gimmick. I think it was like dark blue. Dark blue. Okay, that's not too bad because they used to wear like red and green tights and stuff like that back in the day. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Tights, oh, King King yeah. King Henry the Eighth with his green tights on and yeah. Yeah, I remember. I remember the kid who played King Henry. Yeah, and it was says, "Yes, off with your head." And, was he the bold and, kid? 
<laughs> no, it was about, and it was no, it was it was it was a it was a very very fun but very long arduous play. I think it took up most of our time when I was in year three, and this was the same year when I broke my arm. So I missed a chunk of the first half of year three, and then the second half of year three was doing the the, the play. Well, if it was a Tudor times, you broke your arm. That's it. You're a goner. I think in those days. <laughs> no, I, I wanted to like make up for it because I, I I missed a lot of time. And it was one of those things where I kind of like put my hand up, like, yeah, yeah I'll, I will, I will do this play. Yeah, I'll, I am, I'll I am Spartacus a, for the rest of the year. I'll, I'll, I'll have a prominent role in this play. I'll, I'll, because you know, it's one of the things where I, I thought I could skate under the radar, but I thought, fine, for this year, I won't skate under the radar. I will be front and center, and and you can, you can see me in all of my, in all of my whatever. But yeah, anyway, back to the episode about Leroy and tights. I know that feeling about him not wanting. Yeah, to so wear. he doesn't want to wear tights. He just wants to wear the shorts. Like you know, he feels like. I thought there was nothing wrong with what he was wearing. I think well, that's definitely subjective because they were quite short shorts as well. To be fair, I'm not sure. If, I think tights would have been better. Yeah, let him wear the short shorts. They're not wrong with the short shorts in terms of like training and exercising because obviously you just have to be like limber. And I'm limber. sure Alan Partridge has those exact shorts though, but the underpant lining had perished anyway. If you're if you're a Partridge fan, so in the class basically they're kind of getting like uh, Coco gets. Was it Coco gets told off? No, a girl gets told off wearing earrings, right? And she says it's part of my religious kind of cultural thing. And, and the teacher basically goes off one. He goes, listen, if you're doing uh, some sort of ceremony and and and, and you, I'll let you wear an elephant tusk or whatever, but whilst you're in my class, you're... Oh, you're... something about African tradition and what she was saying. Yeah, because yeah, she, she was wearing this for like an African um, tribal ceremony or something like that and she said like look whilst you're, if you're in africa doing your little tribal thing you can wear do whatever whatever do whatever you want i'll even let you wear an elephant's tusk i think she said through your nose or something like that but then she says whilst you're in my class for the for, between three and four you're dancing and no jewelry and then the teacher basically goes to julie who's wears this little necklace at this point you don't know what it's for and she says like you're gonna have to take the necklace off she goes no not just a necklace and then she kind of runs out and gets sad she was warned about wearing gold as well and not wearing like two like nice fancy clothes in New York. I mean, this was kind of like prior to the. Clothes. Oh yeah, hang on. Yeah, I've actually I've actually gone to um I've actually skipped forward a bit. So so to go back, Julie's with little Rico. He tells her to ditch the chain, but she doesn't want to. Then he tells her about defensive fashion or something like that. So basically, he needs to change the way she dressed. Coco comes into uh, Bruno whilst he's playing the piano, and he's kind of writing music. She doesn't want to make herself known, so she just kind of leaves. But in the lunch hall, now in the lunch hall, Ginger Gold Doris gets winked at by Michael Harris. Is that his name, Michael Harris? Uh, and he comes over to uh, and uh, to talk to Doris, but he actually talks to uh, Julie. Piano guy is talking to Coco. She wants him to go big. Sorry, and... what I was going to say was, you know, Michael's girlfriend that was with him, she was in Jack. She played um, the best friend's mum. There's like a scene where Jack has to, the, where the boy is having a, a meeting with the principal and he gets Jack to talk to his mum. Oh, yes, I know who she is. She's kind of, yes, 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 yes. I know exactly, yeah, I know exactly who she is. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Because um, I knew I recognised her from somewhere. Especially I didn't look it up, but I'm certain it's her. Her accent is like proper distinct, right? Piano guy's walking to, talking to Bruno and she's basically trying to shoehorn away into like this like kind of partnership with him. So she's hiding in the bathroom waiting for him and she's still kind of hustling him and then she's going to perform so that he says yes. So they have this musical interlude. But Doris talks to Julie about Harrison. Coco performs musical interlude. 
So Julie has changed her look. Mum isn't pleased. And she says, like, you know, what was your dad saying? She says, well, he's not here, so who cares? She tells her mum that she's way out of a league in the school. And then she says, mate, look, mum's, mum says her life is not on either or. So it's not like she used the example where I thought I had to make my marriage work or my life would be ruined. But that's not true kind of thing. You can, there's a, there's a middle ground and everything. I thought that was really good advice, actually. No, it was good advice. Yeah, it's nice. I didn't write. I didn't write down all of it. There's going to be some sort of it, life finds a way, like you know, in the words of uh, Jeff Goldblum. So Leroy is listening to music in class. Piano man doesn't want to play the violin. He says it's like for dinosaur tracks. Uh, Bruno. What is it? Who oh, did I say? Piano man. Uh, yes. <laughs> Bruno. Um, so uh, they're playing De Capo, and he's really good, but he's bored playing, playing the classical stuff. Um, so Leroy the teacher was right here. Because he was saying that we've had this argument since before time about orchestras and violins, about going out of fashion, and they never do. They don't. They never do, and they never will. But the thing is, as well, like it doesn't matter sometimes how you feel about something. You have to understand where things came from and how things are to understand the present and how to not make mistakes, you know, like in the future. Because you, you, if you don't understand something fully and you think you're the be-all and end-all, you might just be like, well... I think this is really a good idea, but you know, even a week previously, someone might have tried that idea and it didn't work. You could save yourself a lot of time um, and actually might learn something. So sometimes kids, their teachers do know best. Not, you know, maybe not always, but uh, certainly a lot of the time. Anyway, so Leroy's talking to the teacher who's in detention, giving us some attitude. And he thinks the teacher's discriminating against him, but it kind of puts a fire up him and maybe he'll, you know, he'll try. Uh, so Julie's writing to someone called Lester. Bruno's making some music again. Another musical interlude. Leroy's reading a book. Julie's late for school. Garcia borrows Julie. Oh, so basically she's reading. She's right. She writes her uh, letter. She puts it in her school book so that she can either finish it or send it later on. Julie's late for school. She sits down and they're all kind of doing that, that, that boring old reading in class. One thing I absolutely hate to doing in class when you all read the book. I was a hell of a reader, so I didn't mind. If I do say so myself, I was a hell of a reader. Uh, my reading has only come on since I've been a parent. And, and I can honestly say that. So when I've had to read these books to my kid, I can actually read out loud. Before, I'll be like, the dog and his friend went to the shop. And, you know, I was admittedly, I was terrible at reading out loud. Anyway, so uh, Garcia brought Judy's book and he basically reads the letter out instead of the book. Um, and then Bruno says, like, you know, privacy should be respected and these are like how garcia's always making jokes about minorities and like how people are always being discriminated against and and, and all of those things and he says in this school julie's a minority because she's like from outside from grand rapids michigan yeah exactly so so as much as to be multi uh, multicultural community in the school you know you've got spanish you've got blacks you've got jews everything like you know in the in the minority groups She's this posh kid from out of town, so she's also part of that. They're reading Romeo and Juliet, by the way. Yeah, I mean, some Shakespeare nonsense. Um, I'm not honestly not a fan of Shakespeare. I don't care if that looks bad or sounds bad or whatever. It sounds really bad. Shakespeare had some classics. Shakespeare went on a bit. That's all I'm saying. I'm going to put respect on Shakespeare's name. I'm put respect on Macbeth's name. You ain't gonna you, you ain't gonna read Macbeth and think, oh my god, this absolutely bangs. If the teachers, like I said, well, I think I said this before in a previous podcast, if the teachers hadn't just gone on and on and on and 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 dissected literally every word on every line of every page, maybe it would have been more fun. 
we sat in English class for hours on end. Did you ever do Macbeth? Yeah, we did. We we did Macbeth, Much Ado About Nothing, Midsummer Night's Dream, Romeo and Juliet. We did Midsummer's Night Dream in primary school. We did Macbeth. We did Merchant of Venice for GCSE. I did English Lit for A level, and we did Antony and Cleopatra. And yeah, I think that's about it. But but we did we did the the, the fun ones. Like Macbeth is a cracking Shakespeare story. Like Macbeth is like betrayal, death, fights, three witches, guilt, all of that. So the one that I did like was Much Ado About Nothing. I thought that was actually... Merchant of Venice was decent as well, actually. Yeah, but uh, like I said, it, it's not the plays. It's not Shakespeare's writing or anything like that. It's just... That's a, that's that, then that's, that, that sounds like your teacher's... Yeah, the teachers it. ruined it by making us sit down for hours on end in a hot classroom. Because we would watch these per- things as well. So we watched Macbeth the movie. We didn't. I remember in primary school, we did act out one of the shows. Yeah, we did, uh, we did a school assembly on uh, Midsummer's Night Dream. Yeah, so that, I I still don't know what the um I know there's like a a guy with a horse head or something like that. I, I think that was me. I played the guy with the horse head. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, and I and I and I was the one who was making people's dreams come true because I think it was all about making someone love you by like making a wish on them and yeah yeah. So it was whatnot. quite a weird um storyline. So Leroy's in the in the shops and he's looking at dance clothes, but he kind of bottles it in the end. He's he nearly gets there, but he ends up just kind of walking off. In the dance class, Julie refuses to take off necklace. People kind of take the mick out of her and she runs off. Coco comes into the bathroom, they have a talk, and she says, You have to be tough and work hard. Then they go into the class and there's another musical interlude. Leroy dances with the teacher. Uh Judy goes to school all dressed up and then she kind of dresses down on her way to school. Then she dances in the street, which is proper weird. And that was known as metamorphosis. So she's changing her appearances for New York. Ah, now I understand it. But then the piano says, uh, Bruno says, I have never met a metamorphosis I didn't like or something like that. She used metamorphosis. That that was the word for the class, I think it was. And then obviously it, it represents Julie changing her appearances for New York. But then obviously for her mom, she's dressing up like a, a lady. And then obviously in New York, she's got to dress a bit Got to dress a bit gangster in New York. Then obviously, yeah, they end with uh, Coco singing Fame. Yeah. Um, you know what? This song has, has actually grown on me. I'm not going to lie. I actually like it now. I don't care. I mean, I've got Spandau Ballet in my head still, so. But it's obviously a, a very, very different song. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know why in the world you would mix those two together. But but see, even when you just said it, Fame, I'm like, Fame! <laughs> I want to live forever. <laughs> yeah. I want to learn how to fly. Fly. I went on to actually watch two more episodes. So I went all the way to season four. And the episode was I Never Danced for My Father. So this is obviously the uh, the anti Luther Vandross. Luther Vandross, Dance with My Father. Right. Episode four. What is it? Season four. I, I know. I've, I've just. The, the intro is already. I know it. There you go, there you go. But yeah, it's, 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 it's a lovely song, actually. Right, I Never Dance For My Father. So, yeah, it starts off with uh, someone called Danny, and his parents are talking to him about his future. Danny wants to be a comedian, but his dad doesn't think it's funny. I like how his dad's at proper New York going, you think you're a comedian, huh? Why'd you tell me a joke? Tell me a joke, huh? And obviously he's like, whatever, dad, I don't, I don't want to know. And it's like, there you go, you're not funny. And obviously, dad's like, you're not funny. You're like, stop it. Like, get out of here. You come work for my uncle. Like, oh, 
come and work for my uncle Vinny. He 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 owns a store. Go and work for him, huh? You know, in in, in true New York style. Then Leroy's father shows up to his son's practice after like many, many years, but Leroy doesn't want to know, walks away. Dad is like, look, I'm here in town. I want to spend Thanksgiving with you, but Leroy isn't interested. Danny wants to perform at the, the bowling alley where I think some of them work to prove his father. But obviously Leroy's like, look, don't worry about your dad. It don't take much to be a dad. Or it don't take much to be a father. Because obviously it's like, yeah, everyone can be a father, but it takes more to be a dad, to kind of be around, to stick around. And he was making that point. The vice principal is trying to spend Thanksgiving with someone. He's speaking to Leroy's dad, because obviously Leroy's dad comes to the school and he goes, you know, Leroy's my son, but I want to talk to him. Then obviously he's like, that's impossible. Leroy put on the registers that you're dead, that you're deceased. And then Leroy's dad's like, look, I'm going to enroll in the school then. And obviously he's like, look, no jiving. I want to enroll in the school. And obviously Miss Grant is like, She's like, are you mad? Look how old he is. And obviously, that obviously you can't. Every every person, if you walk out on the street, has a right to at least an audition. Then Miss Grant is giving him a hard time. And I know I wrote his name down, but it's probably way down on the list. Yeah, but she's giving him a hard time. But obviously, he's like, look, I'm not going anywhere. I'm here to 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 rebuild my relationship with my son. I want to get to know him. And obviously he's like, look, play the music. Turns out he's a hell of a dancer. And then obviously Lydia's like, oh, damn. Damn it. She, yeah, I wish she'd fill up the audition so I had to kick his black ass out of here. But obviously he's like, yeah, yeah, he's 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 good at um dancing. Danny is performing at the bowling alley. He ends up getting heckled by his dad. I like how um the dad is like shouting out his uncle's uh, shop, going, Oh, Vinny Thor! And then obviously he's like, just, and you know, he's not funny. And then the dad's like heckling the shop or whatever. And then obviously Leroy's dad goes to Lydia or Miss Grant. And she's like, he's like, look, please help me with Leroy. Put in a good word for me. And Leroy, and then obviously he's like, oh, why don't you dance with me? And that's when I wrote the anti-Luther Vandross because he doesn't want to dance with his father. Millions of listeners would have understood that reference. Eventually, you did as well. So, yeah. So there's a bit where Leroy, where where Leroy's dad goes to Leroy's apartment, and he's like, "Look, I'm not going anywhere until you let me explain everything that happened." Then he's like, "Look, the reason why I left was because I wanted to be a dancer, and it was something that I wanted to do all my life. But my wife or your mum at the time was like, stop dancing and get a real job, you bum.'" And obviously, he's like, I couldn't get rid of that passion. See, that's an interesting one. But I do think as well, like, if, you, if you've if you got commitment, like, if you've got responsibility, if you're, like, a married man and you've got a kid, sometimes you just got to put things aside and maybe come back to it later on. Because obviously, in the immediate future, you got to take care of your own. As a man, you... You got to take care of your wife. You got to take care of your babies, and then come back to whatever you want to come back to at a later date. It's one of those things where, yeah, you have to balance it a little bit. And then obviously, I don't think he balanced it out particularly well. And so he was like, "I just want to dance, no matter what." But obviously, it's like if you're not bringing in the cheese, then 
your dancing's going to nothing, especially now that you've got a family. The family changes everything. That's your commitment. That's your assignment. That's your focus. But obviously he didn't. And then obviously he speaks to Leroy. They they get they come to an understanding. Leroy goes to the school and he's crossing out the deceased part and he's forgiving his dad. Mr. Morlock ends up getting invited to Thanksgiving dinner by one of the teachers. Ah, Brendan. That's his name, I think it is. I think his name is uh, Brendan. No, Vernon or Brendan is one of the names. One of them. And they're singing together and Leroy wants to have Thanksgiving at his house. So he invites Miss Grant and he invites uh, his dad. He say, look, I want to have Thanksgiving there instead of having it at the, the diner for like three bucks or something. We just thought it was actually a really good deal. You could have like the Thanksgiving meal. So turkey, stuffing, the works for like three bucks it was at the for diner. Three dollars. Yeah. I'll go there. But like, yeah, it's food, food in New York, you can get it dirt cheap. I would love to have a Thanksgiving dinner one time. One time. I had a vegetarian version of it. Because I had an American friend at uni and he was doing a Thanksgiving dinner. But I do, I would like to have a Thanksgiving dinner. But no, as a, like you, you like the whole three bucks for Thanksgiving dinner doesn't sound too surprising to me because it's like you go to New York. I was literally living off the food in the bodegas for like the time I was staying there. I don't think I went to like a restaurant or like an official place to eat. It's usually the bodega. I can just get like a sandwich. I get like breakfast in the morning. So I wake up in the morning. I go into the bodega. I'll grab like this little pack of donuts, which was literally like, I think, 75 cents or something. I just have that for breakfast. Grab a coffee as well, which was, again, like a couple of bucks. And, and, I, and I'd head off straight into town. And then and then later on, I'd come back, get some dinner from the bodega again, or like the, the chicken shop, which was halal. Thank goodness for that. So I just, just grab it. And it's like really, really, really cheap. There you go. And uh, right. So now that uh, Leroy and Leroy's dad are in good terms, he wants to step away from the school because he's like, look, I don't want to take a spot from a student. I just wanted to come in to make a point. And he has one last dance with Miss Grant and they have a little moment together. Danny wants Doris to help him get his comedy gig back at the, go at the bowling alley. And obviously Danny's family are just they're like, they're like, they don't want to know. It's Thanksgiving dinner, but Mr. Johnson is not here. And they're all waiting for him in the house. And he decides to walk away from Leroy's house. And then it's the next day. And Morlock was really happy about Thanksgiving weekend. Even though the teacher was like, I didn't really want to invite you. And the whole night was a disaster. Mr. Johnson shows up. And he's and obviously Lydia's like, what the hell are you doing here, you fool? And he goes, look, I have to leave. I have to go where the money is. I didn't want to. I didn't have the heart to tell Leroy no. And he goes and he's trying to apologize to Leroy. And obviously he's like, look, I'm sorry. I have to go on the road. Obviously Leroy doesn't want to know. But he's like, look, I'm sorry that I have to leave you, but I'm not sorry for you because I'm proud of when I see you dancing. I'm proud of who you are. And there's a creepy bowling guy who likes Doris. And obviously Doris is asking him like for a favor to so that Danny could do his gig again. And she's, and then obviously she runs off to Mr. Morlock. She's like holding on to him going, I like the vice principal instead. And then obviously the creepy guy's like, oh, whatever, you're, whatever. Leroy's like telling Danny to like let his father be because it's better than him not being there. And so Leroy goes to the airport with Danny and he's running off to try and meet up with his dad. 
Danny tells his dad that he doesn't want to change, but obviously dad's like, I don't really care what you have to say. Danny makes a scene, and then obviously he's like, and then obviously Danny's mom defends him, going, I don't really care about your cousin Vinny. You better laugh every time your boy has a gig. And if you want to be part of this family, you're going to respect his wishes and you're going to respect mine. And obviously he's like, ah, jeez, I can't win with you guys, huh? And all of that. And so he just walks off. He's like, oh, whatever. Leroy makes it to his dad. And he promises Leroy that he's going to be back one day. And they have like a little dance together, which I thought was very, very nice. Then I ended up watching the finale, which was called Baby Remember My Name. Aptly so. So I think it's uh, the, the end of term. They're trying to do a they're trying to do a yearbook, but they have to. The, the the principal suggests that they do a video edition, where they're recording messages, and then obviously the kids are trying to find a theme. But the the principal suggests that you find the alumni and interview them, and they can give their experiences. At this point, Leroy is a teacher, and he's teaching at the school, but he's struggling with credentials, and he won't be allowed to teach unless he submits to the Board of Education like a, a, an, an essay, or he has to like produce a performance so that the Board of Education can like tick him off. So they go to Chris first, who's at the bowling alley. Yeah, and then Miss Grant bumps into someone who's like a, a really, really important dancer, and he's like a distinguished alumnus. And she's saying to Leroy that, look, Leroy, you should probably end up leaving the school and taking a chance on your dance career. But obviously, Leroy's like, look, this is a safe space. It's a safety net. I can teach at the school. I'm good at it. I enjoy it. So I'm good. The principal is talking to someone called Mickey. And so Mickey's like this guy who went to the school. He ends up being a really famous actor and dancer. And obviously, Mickey's like, look, I'll, I'll, I'll give Leroy a shot and I'll give him... Um, some some tips or whatever there's another guy called chris and then obviously the the principal's like look chris why don't you come to the school and be a guest speaker mickey is having a look around the school he finds his name on the floor where it says i think like mickey something 1953 and he's doing a he's doing like a little tap going da, 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 jazz hands and obviously he's like haha those are the days then leroy's like telling mickey oh my god i love you i love your films I love the part where you're like jumping over the cliff and you're doing all this stuff. And then obviously Mickey's like, yeah, it's not all that. And obviously Mickey was like, listen, kid, when you reach your, when you reach the top and you have your dreams come true, it ain't all what it seems to be. And life at the top is tough. And so Bruno comes in to the, to the, the party. Doris comes. Coco and Julie, I think, are there. And obviously, yeah, it's a big reunion. Coco's doing her interview. She's talking about life at the school. And obviously she's like, being a great artist is important. And it's not always about being a star. Mickey, meanwhile, is drilling Leroy and he's being really, really intense. And Lydia doesn't want Leroy to work too hard. But Leroy's like, look, I don't want to blow the chance with this teacher. Chris is giving a talk to the class, but he's lying. So he's like, he's like, I'm always getting opportunities. I always get callbacks. It's not that hard to make it on the outside. And then there's a student going, oh, yeah, well, if it's so easy, why are you working at a bowling alley? There's a whole theory about, oh, I think it might have been um, Chico talking about the brown tuxedo theory. So obviously, I think it's like it's the idea that you're struggling to fit in. But then obviously you can come into school with your brown tuxedo. and You can still be somebody. 
Like you can you can be yourself and you don't have to always try and fit in with the mold. I may, I think I may have got the the expression wrong, but I do think it's a thing with the brown tuxedo theory. Leroy overhears Lydia and Mickey talking. And Mickey's like, look, I don't think Leroy got what it takes. I'm going to kick him out of the final performance. And then obviously he overhears that. And then obviously Mickey's like to Lydia, I want you to be in there instead of uh, Leroy. But obviously she's loyal. She's like, hell no. Who do you, like, why are you asking me for? I'll, I'm never going to do it. I'm never going to betray Leroy, no matter what. And Mickey, and then obviously she's like, look, give him one more chance. And obviously he's like, fine, I'll give him one more chance. Leroy tells Lydia that, hey, look, I'm going to drop out of the number because I overheard him saying that he didn't want me. But Lydia's like, look, he's going to give you another shot. So don't waste it. Bruno is doing his bit and he's uh, talking about not knowing anything. And he's told like he he learns that he can deal with issues and open up and he's saying that he's very grateful to the school for doing that for him the teacher was not happy with what chris had to say and he's like look the kids didn't like what he had to say they don't want lies they want the truth and he wants chris to go back to the school and talk to the kids again but he refuses and obviously the person who owns the bowling alley lou was like to chris do you really feel that bad about working here and he's like if you feel that bad then you know what you're fired I'm going to let you go. You don't have to work here anymore. You don't have to feel ashamed. Yeah, there's another student and she's talking about not taking herself too seriously. And you just have to enjoy the work. And you just have to enjoy the, the, the ride of the school. Lydia's helping Leroy, but he's not getting it. And he walks out. And Mickey is watching Lydia teach. And she's showing a performance with Mickey in it. And what he does is I think it's like a really cool trick. So I don't know if he has like a broom in his hand. And he's basically like doing like skipping rope over the broom. So he's like holding it really, really high and he's like jumping over it. And Mickey's embarrassed when he sees it and he walks away. And obviously Lydia's like, look, I'm not, I'm not showing these videos to embarrass you. I'm showing it because of your work. Your style of work is important. And Doris comes back and she's a mother. and She has a baby called Jenny. I think she's moved to Ohio with her husband. She said that the school helped her to find her role in life and to like who she is as a person. Chris then comes back to the school and he talks to the kids again. He tells them that he's a struggling actor and that it's tough on the outside. You have to always expect rejections, but to never give up and to not be afraid to fail. So he comes back and gives really good advice. Leroy walks in and he sees Mickey. Oh, it's the axe. Sorry, it's not It's not a, a, a broom. It's an axe. So he's basically doing like skipping ropes with an, a piece of axe. And he's thinking, oh my God, that's amazing. And now Leroy has to kind of, and then obviously he, he, he understands what Mickey wants. And then he does the performance for the board. Then Leroy decides that he won't be coming back to the school, but he's going to focus on his performing career. He says he's going to miss the school and he's going to miss teaching the kids. Leroy goes to see Mickey and shows him the dance moves. And then, yeah, he performs it at the at the big show or at the big number. And then it ends with the entire cast of Fame singing the song, Fame, I want to live forever. I think I'm going to have that song stuck in my head for like the next month. <laughs> dear, oh dear. And that was Fame. Yeah, it's good. It's better than I thought it was going to be. I was a bit worried about watching it, to be honest. Yeah, I was as well. I really was. I, 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 I was like, oh, my God. 40 minutes long, fame. But yeah, it was it was a hell of a show and thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. 15 now. So this show came out in February 1991. 
and some of the things happening in the world. The Unrepresented Nations and Peoples Organization, UNPO, is formed in The Hague, in Netherlands, in Thailand. General Santhorn Kong Sompong deposes Prime Minister Chattachai Chunhaven in a bloodless coup d'etat. If I've said the names wrong, I apologize. The Council of Lithuania declares the independence of Lithuania, ending decades of Soviet rule over the country, and it's often known as the Singing Revolution. The Silence of the Lambs was in the cinemas, and In Your Face by 808 State was in the charts. 15, or it was known as Hillside in Canada, I believe, is a Canadian teen drama that aired in Canada and on Nickelodeon. It was created and produced by John T. Blinkley. The series was Nickelodeon's only teenage soap opera. The show was shot on videotape, similar to most daytime dramas. The series was first conceived as Hillside in an improvised form for the Disney Channel, where a 13-episode pilot series was introduced and tested in the US. After Disney decided not to proceed with the project, Nickelodeon and Canadian partners joined Blinkley in producing the series which was known in its first and second seasons as Hillside in Canada and throughout the run as 15 in the US. The show was subsequently syndicated around the world with runs in Germany and Israel among others. The series features a large ensemble cast which underwent several changes over the show's four season run. Notable cast members include Laura Harris, Enuka Okuma and Ryan Reynolds. Was he Billy? Yes. And funnily enough, he later admitted to disliking working on the show so much that he briefly considered quitting acting altogether. 15, or Hillside, follows the students of fictional Hillside School and dealt with a variety of issues including dating, divorce, alcohol abuse, infidelity and friendship. The show played heavily into stereotypes, including two characters named Dylan and Chris, who wore leather jackets to show off their toughness, but which could not completely disguise their inner selves. At one point, they play a gig with their band Teenagers in Love at a local eatery and hangout spot, the Avalon. Ryan Reynolds, Chris, Mar Chris William Martin, Arsaman Johannes, Laura Harris and Robin Ross all received Young Artist Awards nominations. For what exactly? But anyway, yeah, fifteen or hillside. Let's talk about this show. Right. So at first, I was like, you know, I'm not a fan of. I don't know what can I call it. The sitcom set. Can we call it the sitcom set? Like you know that style of set. I'm not a fan of it. Right. It's 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 immediately aggravating to me. And so this show was like had that kind of feel to it. And then you know it's quite it was quite wooden, quite drawn out and then after a while i was like do you know what this isn't that bad i quite like it um it it was a weird it was kind of weird because it was nothing good about it like there was you, you tell me one thing good about the show the acting wasn't wasn't all that it was the dialogue was wooden it was very kind of set piece based the, the sets were rubbish you didn't see any classrooms teachers or anything like that but somehow it wasn't a bad show i know what you're saying i actually know <laughs> what you're saying Basically, this is this would be like as if, if I turned over a piece of work like at media studies. If I produced something like this for A-level <laughs> media studies, yeah. my teacher would have said, go back and do it again. 
Yeah, no, exactly, yeah. I can see what they were doing. I can see what they were trying to do and what they were trying to portray. I could I could I could see the the parts. Like all the parts were there. It just wasn't put all together. No, agreed. Like if I'm if I'm if I'm if I'm a an exec from Disney or Nickelodeon and I look at this pitch, I will say I like it, but what else? Give me more. Yeah, but the thing is I think it was like there's a lot of really bad elements, but somehow like it just it did it the end product. The acting was bad. I thought the set was very distracting. It was it was very very soap opera esque. It was basically one. I think it was basically one room or one studio in Nickelodeon because they were they were they 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 filmed this in Nickelodeon in uh, Orlando, I believe their base. So I think they were given one set in Nickelodeon. They were like, "Look, this is all you got." Work deal with it. Yeah, but that's the thing because there was like there was basically like. I want to say there was like two or three locations that they, you actually saw in on total, screen. Yeah, right. So you didn't see anybody in classrooms, which I thought was very interesting. You didn't see any teachers. Didn't see any teachers. Yeah, didn't see anybody doing any classroom. So it's always set outside. So like the like the, the the foyer or the canteen or the local hangout, the Avalon. Yeah. So I saw the hangout, the the stairs, the locker room. And I think there was about oh yeah no the locker area was like this bit by the stairs right, but then there was like the locker the the gym locker room, yeah 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 and that's about it. I didn't see any other locations, but look this this it was super weird because it was actually a bit a bit good, it, you know it wasn't wasn't amazing, but I was still like you know at the end of the first episode I was like ooh I wonder what's going to happen with um yeah Ashley it's very it's very soap opera esque. Because you, you're like, ooh, what's going to happen there? Yeah, 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 but this is like a a bad, good show. Or a good, bad show. A good, bad show, yeah, I think. Good, bad, or bad, good? No, because it wasn't like a good show that was bad, right? It was a bad show that was good somehow. I don't know if it was good. I'm not I'm not convinced that it was I think good. It was, I think it was a bit good. Because, you know... It was All right, a bit... so, so defend it then. Tell me the good stuff about this I show. I can't. That's the thing, I can't. But it's of just course what... you can but it's one of those. You, th- you think it's good, so tell me why it's good. No, because it was just one of those things where, like, actually, I was invested in the characters. I, I, I got. Okay, in- that's a good thing then. I got into the fact that I didn't really care about Courtney. To be fair, um, I think she was she was really milking it, and she was rude as well. But like, well, so, so I guess yeah, I'm invested in Courtney as well because she's a, she's a you know I don't think she's that nice in real life. But obviously, you got the baddies, which was um, Kelly and Brooke, right? And Dylan, with his yeah, but, leather jacket. Yeah, yeah, but Dylan and Billy, they had that like, quite like, quite a cool relationship where, like, Dylan's, like, you know, trying to teach Billy to be the bad guy. But not, you know, not like he's actually teaching him, but, like, you know, he's just teaching him. And then you've got, like, Matt and Ashley, who are, like, the most plain, boring old couple anyway. But then, you know, Kelly and Brooke trying to get involved. And it was, it was like, the intertwining stories and stuff like that, I think, was worked. But, like, like you said, there's a lot of other stuff that didn't work in the show. Right, so talk about the pilot, which was called Checking It Out. Checking It Oh, yeah, so I was like, <laughs> do you know when like you kind of hear something, you look up from your notes, you're like, oh, Canadian. Uh, so, 15. Um, so, Brooke and Kelly are talking about outfits and stuff, talking about Courtney and how she was looking tragic, sitting on the steps crying. Matt comes and he's looking for Ashley. Kelly likes Matt. You later find out that they were together at some point. Uh, Matt had a good game of something, turns out basketball. Friends are talking about it, like, you know, kind of like really 
sucking up to him. Kelly and Brooke are watching Ashley with Matt and are bitching about her. Girl comes in looking for her brother Billy, who's Courtney. So Ashley talking to her and this girl ditched her last night. She was upset with Ashley. Yeah, uh, I think Courtney ditched Ashley or Ashley ditched Courtney or something like that. These are high school problems. Anyway, so Brooke's talking to Matt. She tells him that Kelly likes him. Jake comes over and they both go to the gym. Bully guy coming up. Tough guy act. Tough guy act kind of thing going on. So Billy has his skateboard and talking to um, Dylan. Now Brooke comes over and when she leaves, Billy looks at her like and, and says, like, you like her kind of thing. So Dylan has a thing for Billy, even though they're a bit horrible to each other. A bit like um, kind of uh, Helga and... Uh, hey, um, not hey, Arnold. Arnold. Um, Ashley and Billy's sister talking. She apologizes to Ashley for how she acted. Billy's sister being Courtney. Billy's done something to her lunch bag and... Uh, Courtney was the one that was crying on the step. So Billy and Courtney's parents are breaking up. At the milkshake bar, Kelly and Brooke are talking. Kelly says Dylan is cute. Maybe Dylan is... Oh, yes, Dylan's a bully guy. They plan to they plan to take Ashley down. Brooke and Matt used to go out together. Uh, Jake and Matt are talking now. Uh, Courtney and Billy are talking and the parents divorce or separation. And then this is when I made a note that the kids... I haven't seen I haven't seen a teacher or the kids being in class yet. Brooke and Kelly talk to Courtney and pretend to be caring and Courtney not having any of it. And she just says, like, you know, you guys do one, I'm going on, I'm going this way. Actually, Jake and Courtney and Matt are talking in the diner. She says she's fine and she's fed up of talking about it. Dylan has a detention and now Billy's going with Dylan. Uh, Matt's playing pinball. Ashley's too busy for Matt. Uh, they don't see enough of each other. Kelly and Brooke are talking again. Brooke is planning to break them up and she wants to take him away. She has a plan. Jake and Courtney are talking at the diner. He asks to hang on. She says, oh, to hang out. And she says, yes. So Jake's kind of asked her out. And then she's, and he says, oh, yes, catch a movie. And then she goes, oh, yes, get a big group of us together. And he's like, oh, bloody hell, kind of thing. And then she's sad and says, what am I going to do? My parents broken up. She's actually kind of shows that she's really sad to him. Um, a bit of episode two that I managed to watch was, um, it's called Stirring the Pot. Courtney's dad's gone. Jake's still listening to her. Kelly comes to Matt and she says that they uh, can't hang out together because he's not going to be there later. And then she says, like, Brooke will be sad. And so Kelly and Brooke plan to break up Ashley and Matt. She plants a seed and then Courtney comes to Ashley while she's at the desk. Ashley has something on her mind. She's worried about the results from an English test. Brooke comes to them. She's teasing Ashley about the ease of the test, even though Ashley's worried about it. Matt comes to Brooke. Who, and then outwardly in front of Ashley flirting with him. And then she walks Matt to the gym. Billy and Dylan are playing a guitar. And then Matt notices that um, Billy's dressed like Dylan. And that's all I've got to watch. Okay, so I went all the way to season three, episode one. So by then, I think uh, they did break up. So uh, Courtney and Arsman are talking about Jake. And they're quite nervous about... And obviously, Courtney is nervous about him coming back from China. Brooke is making Courtney even worse about Jake. And obviously she's saying that it's been such a long time since you two have been talking and you don't have anything in common. I was annoyed that they mixed up Hong Kong and China because Hong Kong and China are two completely different things. Yeah. So well, like one minute, are you in Hong but, Kong? And they're like, and the next minute, oh, he's in China. Oh, he's in Hong Kong. He's in China. He's in Hong Kong. It's like, come on, man. Yeah, it is an independent state, but it is literally on china it's like wales is to england it's not like a million miles away though yeah but, it's, but i wouldn't look at a welsh person and go oh you're english or whatever and i'm sure someone from hong kong don't want to be told he's from china 
as someone from China don't want to be told, oh, are you from Hong Kong? And then Brooke is making Courtney even worse. And uh, Brooke is talking to Stacey about making her wait in the morning. Dylan and Chris are talking about their band and they want to kick Billy out of the group because they have the potential to be serious. And he thinks the band has potential. And then Dylan reluctantly agrees to do it. Dave is talking to Matt about missing basketball practice. Coach wasn't too happy. But Matt is like, and then obviously Matt's like, are you coming to uh, Jake's welcome back party? And then obviously Dave was like, ah, oh, I wasn't invited. And then Matt is like, right, I'm going to get you invited. What's the matter with you? And um, Chris bumps into Billy. He's saying that, oh, D D Dylan wants to talk to you. Go and talk to him. Chris is talking to Ashley. She tells him it isn't wrong to get bees. And Brooke is confused as to why Chris and Ashley would be dating. And obviously she's like, oh, she's insufferable. I don't like Ashley. Stacy is like to Brooke, you're a really bad person. I don't want to hang around with you anymore. Then Matt goes to Arsman and he's having to go at her for not inviting Dave. And obviously she's like, I'm sorry, I forgot. Damn, here's his invite. Courtney is getting uh, her house ready for Jake. And she's getting really nervous. And obviously the house isn't ready. And then Jake is like, surprise. And obviously it's like, oh, Jake, I didn't see you coming out of nowhere. Very, very awkward. Brooke is talking to Stacy and she's trying to explain her point of view. And then obviously Brooke's like to uh, Stacy, I don't appreciate being called horrible. She's just really gaslighting Stacy, going, you made me feel really bad about being the way I am. And obviously Stacy's like, I didn't mean to. And then obviously, yeah, just making her feel really bad and like gaslighting her. Dylan is talking to Billy and tells him that he has to leave the band. Dylan's saying that the band's really important to him and they need a new drummer. Jake and Courtney are talking and it's still very, very awkward. And Courtney's not sure if Jake has changed or not. Jake is talking to Dave and he's saying how weird it is to be back. Dave is telling Jake about how Matt has kept away from everyone. Then Matt shows up and then him and Jake are talking. Jake's trying to talk to Matt, but Matt isn't interested and he just cuts him off. Then Brooke comes and is talking to Jake. And then again, I wrote, yep, getting China and Japan mixed up. I don't know if it was like a, a thing that she did on, 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 on purpose. Chris and Ashley are coming to the party and Matt is obviously looking on jealous. Jake is telling Courtney where they are in terms of their relationship. And he's like, look, I really, really like you. I've missed you while I was um, away. And Courtney agrees. And Arsman apologizes to, to Dave. But obviously he's like, yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. It's not that deep. Then Dave, then Dave is looking for Matt. And obviously Jake is wondering what's happening with Matt. And then obviously prior episodes, I believe Matt had a drinking problem. And he was drinking alcohol. And, they, and they're wondering if he's drinking again. And obviously Jake is like, you reek of the stuff. And then, yeah, they're, yeah, they're saying, oh, are you drinking again? And then that's how that episode ended. And then I went to the finale, which wasn't really much of a finale. But if you want finales, then uh, can't wait for the Biker Grove finale. Talk about that one. Woo! So Dave, Chris, uh, they're talking about Russ. And he's got leukemia. And they're saying how shocked it is that someone they know could have such a, an illness. And they're worrying about what's going to happen. They're all amazed by Russ's strength. And Billy and his now stepbrother, Loyal, are talking about the, the parents arguing. Billy's like, look, don't worry, I'm going to sort it out and I'm going to help you because you're my brother now or technically stepbrother. 
Liz and Brittany are talking about Dylan and another girl, but obviously Brittany doesn't really care for the gossip. Billy is looking for Brittany and catches up with her at the mall. She's talking to another guy, and he's like, why are you talking to this other guy for? And then obviously having a big argument about trust. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Russ is at home with Pepper, and he's like, look, um, I, you should go to school. I just want to you know, go to sleep. I'm really, really tired. And Russ is telling her, look, have a good time at the party. Chris is asking girl out to the party, and she doesn't want to go with him. She wants to be friends first and then take it really, really slow. Loyal and his mom are now staying at a motel because Billy's dad gets really angry and he's getting angry at Billy for lecturing him. Loyal is worried about another divorce because obviously he's been there before with his mom and the previous partner. But Billy says, look, don't worry, they'll work it out. Billy and Brittany are at the party, but Brittany goes out of her way to talk to another guy. And uh, Loyal is talking to uh, Pepper and he's trying to offer her to dance and enjoy it. Then Chris is asking another he's asking someone to dance and then it turns out that Brittany and ryan leave the party and liz is like i think it's out of order what she's doing and i want to get even with Brittany. dave is reading a letter from matt and obviously i think matt is like he's matt's gone away and he's like i'm gonna come back really really soon dylan who's now going out with ashley says that he and ashley had an argument and they're hoping that things work out billy goes to the diner and he confronts ryan and he throws him on the floor, and that's how the episode ended. So it ended really, really abruptly. Just like that. Maybe they run out of tape. That would be very, very believable. Very, very believable. And yeah, that was 15. Yeah, like I said, it was a lot of bad things. Wasn't that bad in the end product, I think. It was, like, I, wasn't, I wasn't clawing my way through this show. No, no, no. I've clawed my, through, clawed my way through much worse shows uh, you know, than this. Maniac Benson. <laughs> oh god, that show! But when yeah. then this, when you said Pepper on this one, I was like Pepper and Pepper and, oh uh, yeah. He's like one in a million. <laughs> that was a hell of a show. I yeah. like Pepper and. Yeah, so now I've got that in my head as well. Uh, yeah, right. We have to choose now between Fame and Fifteen. I think Fame has it. I think Fame has the edge. The edge. Yeah, no, no, but but the thing I'll is, I've used that edge. But the thing is, I have to say that I I walked into fame having like, think well thinking that this is going to be trash. I'm not going to enjoy it. It's going to be a slug, but it's better than I thought it was going to be. Um, it's still not my genre. I have to say, it's still not my genre. But I what you know, I, I I did like the drama in between the mu- musical interludes and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, it was fame by a million miles. I thought this was outstanding. It was it was one of those oh damn you proved me wrong kind of shows because yeah you, you're, you're thinking fame and dancing and, and all of that stuff but it was actually really really good and yeah this was a tremendous show and like i said i'm i'm tempted to watch the film and if i ever get around to it then i will let you guys know main event time now and we are talking bite a groove this, this show came out in uh, November 1989 and some of the things happening in the world. The first commercial dial-up internet connection in North America is made by the World STD or Software Tool and Die, which is what it stands for. The Asia Pacific Economic Corporation or APEC is established or RPEC. 
Brazil holds its first free presidential election since 1960. The Little Mermaid is in the cinemas. And Don't Know Much by Linda Ronstadt and Aaron Neville was in the charts. So, Biker Grove. So this was a British teen drama TV series created by writer Adele Rose and exec producer Andrea Wonfor. It was aimed at an older teenager and young adult audience tackling serious and sometimes controversial storylines. It was set in a youth club in the biker district of Newcastle upon Tyne. And in 1987, Andrea Wonfor approached soap writer Adele Rose and together they created a single pilot episode featuring children aged 8 to 11 at an out-of-school club. And Wonfor gained the backing of Anna Holm, who was the then head of the children's department at BBC Television. And they were given the go-ahead for a run of a, a series of six 25-minute episodes to be broadcast by the BBC. The age of the main characters was raised to 12 to 16 after support from producer-director Matthew Robinson. The first series centred on young teenagers crossing the bridge from childhood to adulthood. Biker Grove was not filmed in the biker area of Newcastle. The actual youth club was set in the Benwell, in Benwell, which is in the west area of the, the city, Biker being in the east. And Biker Metro Station and other landmarks such as the Real Biker were used for filming backdrops. The youth club building seen on screen, it's the, the mitre or the meter, which used to be a nightclub and a pub. And after the success of the first series, the mitre was bought by BBC London's property department, which then granted Zenith Television a permanent license to film the series there. And scenes representing Denwell Burn Youth Club for Series 15 were filmed at the Rabbi Street Youth Club in the buildings next to Biker Primary School. And this is the real youth club for the children of Biker. Biker Grove launched the careers of Anthony McPartlin and Declan Donnelly, otherwise known as Anton Deck, as well as the actress Jill Halfpenny, who we watched on Waterloo Road as Izzy, and Donna Eyre, former CBBC presenter Andrew Hayden-Smith, who had a uncanny resemblance to Leonardo DiCaprio, Emmerdale actors Dale Meeks, Charlie Hardwick, Chelsea Halfpenny, Laura Norton and Victoria Hawkins. Also appearing in the series was the now glamour model Francois Bouffal and Charlie Hunnam, who later starred in Sons of Anarchy and co-starred in Pacific Rim. The cast and crew from the first 10 years of the show held their first reunion in 2012 in the quayside area of Newcastle-upon-Tyne on a riverboat cruise. The party guests included Anton Deck, Donna Eyre, Charlie Hardwick and Andrew Hayden-Smith. Biker Grove was not intended for young children but aimed at a young adult and teenage audience as it tackled controversial subjects such as drug addiction, child abuse, homelessness, teen pregnancy, homophobia, and abortion. Although some of the action took place outside of the youth club, the series was unusual among dramas in that the characters were rarely shown in school. One of the major settings was the foster home run by the kindly but strict Lou Gallagher, who was the longest running character. The series frequently depicted life as unjust, with bad things happening to good people, 
such as Flora's death from a brain tumor, Greg's fall from the roof of the grove, which left him paralyzed from the waist down, Gemma Dobson being electrocuted by a faulty electricity main socket, and the youth leader Jeff Keegan's death in an accidental gas explosion 11 years on after 11 years on the show. Biker Grove frequently confronted viewers with repercussions for the character's actions, often permanent. These range from the comical to the tragic. Characters who stole and joy rode cars often died in them, starting with Jill and ultimately Craig running over Ben Carter. PJ was blinded during an illicit and unsupervised paintballing session in which he ignored warnings and removed his face guard. In a scene filmed on location at Aden Castle near Corbridge, and the central storyline for the first three series was the character of a London teenager and racist little girl, Julie Warner, who was struggling to fit in and adjust to life in working class Newcastle and her relationship with the rebellious Martin Gill Gillespie. And in the show's final episode, the characters discovered that they do not exist and are the creation of unseen characters known as the writers who plan to conclude the show by demolishing the Grove. However, numerous present and former Grove members buy enough time for the characters to rewrite the ending so that the club will remain open forever, but ultimately fail to stop it being demolished. And funnily enough, a number of musical acts have been spun off from the series. And these include... PJ and Duncan. Hang on, hang on, hang on. We'll get to PJ and Duncan in a minute. Hold up. It's not just them. So there was Michelle Charles under the guise of Charlie, which was a character name. And she had songs such as The Best Thing in My Life and For the Good Times. There was Biker Groove, which was a girl band, which featured Donna Air and Janie Hoy and Vicky Taylor whose single, Love Your Sexy, reached number 47 in the UK charts. Summer Matthews, aka Emma Miller, had the single, Little Miss Perfect. The boy band, Point Break, and they were a boy band which included Brett Adams and David Oliver, who played Noddy and Marcus respectively. And they had singles which included Freaky Time and Stand Tough. And yes, of course, as you mentioned, we had PJ and Duncan, who obviously are at Anton Deck. And prior to them being on TV, they had something of a, a musical career. Obviously, let's get ready to rumble. Summer like, holiday. That used to be my jam as a kid. I'm not even going to lie. I, 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 I did like Let's Get Ready to Rumble. And I actually did like some of their songs. Obviously, they had We're On The Ball as well, which was, I think, uh, a song for the World Cup of 2002. Right. Biker. Grove. I didn't watch this show as a child. I knew of it, obviously, and I'd watched bits of it. It had been on. Um, but I, same with Grange Hill. I didn't like this type of show growing up. So never watched them. Okay, if you didn't watch it, so give give your first impressions then. So first impressions was... Or, or not first impression necessarily, but like you're kind of like, you're seeing it for the first time. Like I'm sure many listeners from around the world who you're, you're, you're in the same boat as them. So I struggled to understand the Geordie. You know, I'll hold my hands up to that. Yeah, it was, I mean, it's a combination of like bad audio because it's tape, right? 
and it's been recorded onto a tape player and then at, at some point digitized and uploaded on the internet. Yeah, shout out to the person who put all of the series of Biker Grove from start to finish on YouTube. In order. In order. Uh, yeah, props to that. Because without that, it would have been a nightmare. Um, but it was... It was pretty good. Like the the the, the characters were relatable. The, 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 the it was shooting pretty good. I mean, in England we do like a gritty social realistic drama, don't we? We do like it. Love it. <laughs> it's, it's so British. Yeah. No sunshine. No but nice it, cool shots. I don't. I don't think anyone, any other country, does the gritty social realism like we do. Like yeah, we do. Right? This is this is this is UK all over. America, you can't. You're not, you're never gonna show like the hood in America. You're gonna show like L.A. and Hollywood sign and sunshine and the beach and and whatnot. Yeah. Or the thing is, I think the Americans can't help themselves making it look a bit, you know, polished and a bit actiony and cool, right? They they can't help it. Um. So yeah, this is definitely a unique UK thing, but it, it was pretty good. Like, I mean. I watched, what did I watch? Two episodes, one for series one, one for series four. It was pretty good. Like, it was, I mean, Julie nearly made me spit out my tea at one point, but, um, <laughs> because it was just like, you know, straight out of blue. But, but yeah, um, apart from that, it was, it was, it was pretty good. Yeah, I've got so much to say about Biker Grove, but it's, it is all good. So, like, okay, first of all, you can imagine, like, in, in the UK, there was never, a show I, that I can think of that was set in Newcastle. You might have like the odd Geordie character in like a show, but I'm trying to think like in terms of like set in Newcastle in this particular part of the world where they talk in a very, very specific way. And obviously if you think at the time, Newcastle back in 89, it was one of those things where you had Paul Gascoin coming up to like the early part of his career where he's like starting to take off. Obviously, I'm going to relate back to football because that's what I know. So you had Alan like, Shearer. Yeah, well, Alan Shearer was a bit later than 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 that. So like before, like '89, you had like you had Gaza, you had Chris Waddle, you had Peter Beardsley. I was going to say Peter Beardsley. Yeah, you had all these like people who are like kind of representing Newcastle. Obviously, the fog and the tine is all mine. All mine is a a classic song. I think Jimmy Nail, is he from that part of the world as well? God knows. I don't the know. Singer. This is the definitely singer, gonna be your the, 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 the singer Jimmy Nail. Is he is he is he Geordie? Yeah, and, and the Fog of the Tyne song by uh Lindis Lindisfarne. Yeah, and they're, and they're obviously yeah, um I don't know if they they're from Newcastle or they were just singing about that that particular song, that part of the world. But yeah, like you had like EastEnders, which is obviously very Cockney, very London. Hollyoaks, which is Hollyoaks is like kind of like northwest Liverpool. Yeah, what's that place? What's that place called? Yeah, it's Liverpool, but it's not Hollyhead. Yeah, maybe something like that. You obviously even then at the time you had Brookside, which was very Scouse, very Liverpool. You had Corrie, which was very Man- Mancunian and Mank. So there was like Biker Grove this part of the world we're going to introduce it to people we're going to introduce this accent we're going to introduce this to the world another thing that i appreciated was biker grove was hella diverse hella diverse first episode you got an asian guy you got a black girl talking in a geordie accent they're both talking in a geordie accent 
I actually don't think Raj was Indian. I think his name was like David Jones or something. <laughs> I think so. I think so. It was just one of those things where I don't know they fortuitously found a tanned person. But obviously he was talking in the uh, in in a Geordie accent. But I don't think the and things I don't think they're putting on the accent. I I think it'd be daft to just drag people out from unless they're actually from that part of the world and you want to talk to them in that part of the world. It's daft to do that. But no, it was it was incredibly diverse. You had a lot of black characters, you had a lot of Asian characters, and they would be talking in the accent so that they're you know prop by Geordies like. Yeah, like they, you, you see the the black girl, and I'm like, you know, yeah, yeah, go on, pet. You talk in your Geordie accent, pet. And um, yeah, I like that. And also the other thing was, I might, I might go, I might be going on a political rant here, but where are the youth centres at, man? Yes, that was one of my notes. It was, yeah, but I mean, it is political rant, and it has to be political rant because they've been shut by the Conservative government. I know, you know, what are you going to do with funding cuts and stuff like that? Like, there is nothing to do. I mean, I had a youth club run by the church when I was younger, and it was fun. Meet, meet all your friends, play pool, play football, whatever you're going to do. Yeah, it was a fun yeah, place to go. Somewhere to look forward to, like after school. I'm watching it, and I'm like, like, that's the, like, when, 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 when the Conservatives got in in 2010, like, one of the first things they went after was the youth centers the libraries like places where young people are most likely to go after school they just went for those places first are like we're just gonna cut you off by the legs it's like the michael jordan line where it's like f these kids like i don't know if michael jordan actually said that but it's like a famous like meme where it's like yeah f these kids which is essentially what this this kind of whole thing was where you're like saying to them yeah, we're, 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 we're going to take away the one place after school you can go. And whatever happens to you guys, if you're in a broken home and the youth centre was the only place in the world you can go and you can feel like this is somewhere that I can go and I'm safe and I'm going to take that away from you guys, then... But the thing is, if you look at the investment in the grassroots and the school kids and the stuff like that, the fact that Marcus Rashford had to rally for all the school meals, he wasn't the only one, but, you know, he was certainly one in the, in the, in the, in the limelight. He seemed like the only one because it's like, where the hell is the bloody opposition? Yeah, but the thing is, it's like, why is this a thing? Why, why is there no investment in the kids that basically are going to be looking after you and me when we're old and infirmed, right? Why are we not looking after these kids? Do you see what I mean? It's, it's like, these are, these, are the, these are the ones that are going to be running the country. They're going to be looking after you and me when we're older and we, 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 you know, we can't think for ourselves anymore. Like, if these kids aren't looked after now, why would they look after us when we're older? Like, do they not get that? Because it's like you're kind of condemning them to a life of whatever. Because it's like, oh, we don't have a youth centre. Well, okay, that's a you problem. Kind of that's, and, and that's what it kind of feels like the government are doing. It's like, yeah, okay, there's no youth centre. Ain't, 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 ain't that a bit? You know, like, what? Okay, we're closing these down because we have to save up and we have to do lots of cuts. Austerity, that's the yeah, Austerity. So it's like, you know, death, death by a thousand cuts. And it's like, yeah, like it feels like a youth center is like a thing of the past. And I don't want it to be a thing of the past. I really, really don't. And I kind of, I kind of do want to like do that with my kind of work as well and kind of bring it back, not bring back youth center. Yeah, bring it back. It's like, where, 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 where are they going to go? Because like, if you, if, if, if you take that away, the kids are going to go to the streets to find to find that 
that that that satisfaction or the, to find that thing that they're looking for because if they're not going to find it through a safe means where you can go to a youth center you can just play pool you can like hang out play pool hang out just basically hang do out do activities can... as well like yeah. going on camping trips going on like day trips like all of those things i loved what biker grove represented i genuinely loved it and okay and another thing was i believe that off the top of my head Biker Grove, Grange Hill, Children's Ward, and Tracy Beaker are, in my opinion, the most iconic children's shows of of the era. Those four are incredibly iconic. I can say that I watched three out of four of them. And again, the fact that you didn't watch Biker Grove was was baffling is baffling to me. I, 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 the thing is, I don't know why I didn't watch it. It's just those shows, maybe either they were too long, maybe they were on at the wrong time, maybe I was just watching. Because I'd imagine they would come on around five o'clock. Biker Grove used to come on around five. Between the time of 4.30 and five, that was when they would show Grain Jill and Biker Grove. They would alternate it. So, like, you'd have one series of Biker Grove. Once Biker Grove was done, it'd be Grain Jill. And they'll just be swapping, swapping, swapping. Maybe I, I have no idea. I don't have the answer. I have. I remember it being on. I remember the the theme tune, and so maybe it was just something I wasn't into at the time. Maybe I switch over. But and also the thing is with Biker Grove, I think yeah, it it, it deserves its flowers for some of the storylines that they did. I liked Biker Grove growing up. I liked it now. I thought it was a hell of a show when I was a kid, and I would always look forward to when it would come on. And. Even now, when I was watching it, I watched, I think, six episodes in total. So it was one of those things where I thought I had to, like, give, give it, like, a wide sample. So basically, yeah, some of the episodes I watched, so I watched, the, obviously, the pilot. Obviously, the whole PJ and Dun- the PJ blind incident and the aftermath. And then I watched Jeff and the fire and the aftermath. And then, so, so I think those are, like, the two kind of, like, major storylines. I, you know, I even think I remember... He can't see, man. Even when I was a kid, I remember that. When he's like with the with the paintball and he's blind and and uh, yeah, no, no. Honestly, this show is an institution in this country. Like I said, for me, I'm sure there's another program that I should be thinking of to make it five shows, but at least those four: Biker Grove, Grange Hill, Children's Ward, and Tracy Beaker. Those are like the the Matt Rushmore, if you want, of like children's television. And I think Biker Grove is like in a league of its own. And I think what they kind of did for the, the, the area of Newcastle and that whole bringing it to light and the Geordie accent and making people know about this part of the world that me, maybe people would never have known about. Never have known about Newcastle unless it was like football, like you said, Alan Shearer, or might not have known the Angel of the North. I, I, I definitely want to go to Newcastle. That, that is that is on my uh, list of places to go in the UK. So, uh, right, let's get right into episodes. So I thought the episode was called Saturday. It turns out it just was Saturday. So there's a girl and a dad shopping. They've moved from London. They, I think it's Julie you find out the girl's name is. Like, one thing, one criticism, names. And never say the bloody names. It was. It I took. A, they did. It was like half the episode until they got to the names. Uh, right. So, girl and dad shopping. They moved from London. They go into the shop to try on a top. 
Then the Geordie last rocks up, which was her name was uh, Debbie. Was that Debbie? She's bought loads of clothes already. She, um, she sees the shoppers um, in, in the thing and she says, oh, you should get your dad to buy it. And then she walks off with her mates. The dad's trying to convince Julie that move to Newcastle is a good thing. She says, and he says, apparently, Biker Grove's good. Lots of kids go there. Um, so two two guys see three girls sitting in a milkshake place. They're all speaking Geordie, so didn't get a word of it. Some mild flirting was my, was my notes on that. Um, so the shopping girls, which is, right, let me try and get this thing. So I think it was, was it Donna? Debbie and one there other There was a girl. Nicola in there as well. God, I didn't even write. I didn't, didn't even write the name Nicola in my. Nicola was um, Izzy from Waterley Road. Yeah, no, I remember the the woman. The, the, she, she was the teacher, right? But yeah, yeah Jill Halfpenny. So I, I didn't even write the word the name Nicola. So it's a shopping girls going to move, see a movie on Tuesday, even though they aren't old enough, and they're talking about the boys whilst going home. Cass is short for Casanova. He thinks he, his real name is Andrew. And he's trying to teach his dog some tricks. Really struggling with names, but the girls go inside the building into the bathrooms to talk about girl stuff. So youth, this is where you learn that the youth club is called Biker Grove, um, and they need some cash. And the kids say let's put on a concert, but the uh, bully kids think it's lame, which is... Oh, their names are coming later in my notes, so I've forgotten their names. The girl is still unhappy with the move. Dad says, I don't know why you can't just go to the Grove. So two, of the, two out of three of the girls um, go back to... The girl who wanted Jacket's house, which is above a pub, and the girl lets the uh, friend borrow some clothes. The new girl's crying. Now it's Monday. Winston is a smaller of the two bully kids. Gail, is it Gil or Gail? Oh, Gil. Uh, so yes, Gail and Winston are the two kids. So um, the small girl needs money for the pictures and says and takes something or a job from Winston. Um, Gil sparks up a cigarette and gets told either. That goes. I can't do a Geordie accent, but it's like that goes out or you do kind of thing. Like, Either actually, that goes out or you do. Yeah, I was like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so Julie turns up at Biker Grove after her parents dropped her off. Now, Gil speaks to her, but she's a bit snotty, to be fair. Uh, they go past the office, um, like sneak past the office and meet um, Cass. And then um, Gil shows off by lifting 65 kilos over his head. Girls talking about Julie. Alison comes in to talk to her. And she beca- and she beckons the other girls over. Donna is the girl whose dad owns the pub and wanted a jacket. Julie, Julie's dad is a lighting designer, it turns out. Donna called her called her a snob and then everyone in the shout for a little bit. The other girl's grand comes in and she wants to have a word of Jeff who owns the place because she's a bit like, you know, a bit filthy in the kitchen and stuff like that. Uh, Julie's going home. Gil offers to walk her home, but she says no. Then a black girl who she's been talking to, she says, um, she says something to her. And this is when I so spat. She on... says like, "Oh, obviously, be careful with Gil and like, watch out." Yeah, she's warning her. I was drinking my tea, like, you know, mouth full of tea, and then she goes, "Why don't you go back home where you come from?" I was like, "What the hell?" Yeah, that 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 because I felt sorry for her initially, and they're all taking they're taking the mic over going, "Oh, I'm from I'm from Wimbledon, actually. I'm from Wimbledon, actually." <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, so I spat my tea all over the place and was like, what the hell? And obviously you immediately do not like this character anymore. Well, I didn't anyway. No, I didn't either. And then Grant goes and talks, oh, so this is really sweet. So the little girl is like, the little girl, is that the little girl, the little ginger girl? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, So she's kind of like crying because she hasn't got the nice clothes. She hasn't got the trendy trainers and this and that. And she's like, I wish I was dead. And then the ground's kind of giving a cuddle and it's like, 
yeah, she wants to go, she can't afford to go on a camping trip and you know and she gives her a hug but the thing is this is like issues you know is growing up when, when people couldn't afford to do do these things for their kids right and then the kids are suffering this kind of social leprosy kind of thing going on anyway so Haley's a black girl she's got a job interview tomorrow and she's 15 but she's just hoping they're not going to ask too many questions i like um, her and raj talking though that was really nice yeah it was because but it also it showed a lot of understanding on their part because obviously yeah, it's like two minority characters and they're kind of talking about trading war stories and yeah exactly yeah but, but it also showed a bit of like you know what they what these guys have to put up with yeah you know, at the hands of us white folk, shall we it's say? It's like you know? even 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 though I talk like a Geordie and I act like a Geordie, people will still think that I'm an outsider. And I do like how um, Nicola and Donna like stick up for Haley. So like, oh, she's a real Geordie, unlike you are. She was born here, like you know, what the hell are you talking about? And they're like, yeah, saying, oh yeah, I did like her, them defending her, and they're saying like, you know, you should go and apologize. And then obviously they're like, oh. I don't. We don't care about her. Like she's a racist. She's a bigot anyway. Like we don't really care. Like she can, yeah, do whatever she wants. But that's the thing. Like you can be like, you know, oh, the poor new girl, or whatever. But you can't be a horrible person. If you're a horrible person, you're going to be liked anywhere you go. Or if you can't, if you lash out, and that's the first thing that comes in your head, then well, that's yeah, like, you're wronging. Yeah, proper wronging as well. I mean, um, so, so Gail and Winston are looking for bikes to steal. They're playing in a field. Uh, Julie sees them as she's driving home. She sees, oh, I'll pull over here. And then they play chicken and they crash. Uh, I didn't watch the next episode, but I would love to. The next episode I watched was, as you suggested, the series four finale. It's one of the most iconic moments or episodes in kids, UK kids, like shows history. This is like up there with Zamo being found on the floor on uh, on, on on drugs or... What? Yeah, some of the other major moments in 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 Grange Hill. Maybe we should do. Maybe we should run back Grange Hill just so that you could watch it. Oh yeah, it'd be good because obviously that was Chris back in the day. So yeah, I, mean, I wouldn't mind back watching in the that day. Again. Can you imagine saying that about my podcast? Yeah, back in the day, but it was back in the day now. As we hurtle now towards the hundredth episode of Yesterday's Capers. Yeah, so series four finale was so like basically. I, I have no context to the build-up here, but from what I ascertained, there is a between two groups, there is a like a, a paintball match organised, and it's not completely legit. That's the that's the overall theme I yeah. got. Yeah. So it's a war council. PJ is trying to collect five pounds each from everyone. So this is yeah. So PJ and Duncan and Deck, right? I think most people know that, right? Maybe that's a bit presumptuous, but yeah. So PJ is Ant McPartland. Yes. And 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 Declan is. Not Declan, sorry. Duncan is Declan. I don't know his last Declan name. Declan Donnelly. Declan Donnelly. And they always stand, Ant and Deck, on the screen. Ant is always screen left. Deck is always screen right. They never are seen the other way around. Um, that's a little bit of trivia for you. So, uh, and most of the time they did it in this as well, but only one scene they were the wrong way around. So, um, something happened between Deb Debbie and PJ. Gemma is the other girl. Marcus... His brother is asking for cash and they all go for paintball. Patsy's lost her Christian fish brooch. Doorbell. Oh, so the doorbell goes off and it's their mum. Then Marcus sold the... Because Marcus needs some cash. So he sold the little fish in a pawnbroker for 12 quid. Um, he comes home, sees his mum, and now he's sad. So, and this is when I made a note that Ant and Deck are still in order. So um, Patsy thinks that something bad will happen at the paintball thing. And she says, like, she's kind of freaking out about it. She's got some this kind of, like, sixth sense thing going on. 
she tells Charlie to film everything and at home she's still looking for a brooch. Marcus can't watch mom go, that's why he's sad. And then he calls his mum, he says, I miss you, love you, mum, and love you, love you, ma'am, ma'am, and all that. Debbie did something with PJ. They kind of like they um he was careful, but he wasn't careful with her heart. Patsy's praying. Pa- Marcus goes back to buy the fish because he feels guilty, stashes it back in the house. Patsy finds it and says, Thank you to God, because she was praying for it. Uh so PJ and Duncan go to where the paintball is going to be. Uh, it's like a castle area, like you said earlier. A- Aiden Castle, did you say? Yeah, something like that. Patsy wakes up in the night. And she's worried about the battle tomorrow. Uh, Debbie and Gemma come to the paintball to show PJ that they don't care. You know, they're like, oh, look, I don't care what you did. I'm just going to show you that I can still do whatever I want. Um, Jeff and Patsy are in the background. She tells him about PJ because she thinks something. Oh, the paint. She tells. Oh, so Jeff and Patsy are talking. Uh, she tells. Uh, tells him about the paintball because she thinks he's something's going to happen. It's like a rivalry. So um, at the battleground, then they meet and they're playing like, is it the Dad's Army theme tune they're playing? No, this was Bridge of the River Kwai. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah. yeah. And they're kind of marching down with their kazoos. So this do, is like, do. on a kazoo, that's like the least threatening battle. What thing. I was going to say is, again, this was another example of like, different generations so like if you if you tell an 11 year old now hum the 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 bridge of the river choir theme they'll be like what the hell are you talking about yeah it's one of my dad's all-time favorite films so that's partly why i know it but obviously it's like a very iconic theme but it's like yeah and obviously as an 11 year old i knew that theme i knew it like the back of my hand like and it's also like the great escape as well like do 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 but if you ask the 11 year old to hum the great escape theme song or the bridge of the river quiet theme song they wouldn't have a scooby-doo so again it was one of those um one of those things yeah so jeff rushes to get there. he's like jeff is booking in this in his little ford escort van or whatever it is he's like boom he's like you know hitting the rev lever and stuff like that yeah yeah he's like and you know it's back in the day if you crash you're dead you know, like that's not, there's none of this airbags, five star end cap safety rating nonsense. That's like, you crash, you're dead. No second chances back in the day. Patsy's still praying. PJ takes off the mask to warn Noddy about someone shooting him. And then he gets shot straight in the eyes by Debbie and Gemma. And then Jeff comes and tells Duncan to call an ambulance. And he's like, you can't see, man. And all that. That's the famous line, isn't it? He can't see, man. And But one thing as well, you talk about a generational gap. Like, he's like, Duncan go and call an ambulance and he has to like run off to call an ambulance right yeah like where's he gonna go because this is you know this is you told you and i to call an ambulance you like pick up our phone yep call an ambulance or ask literally anybody on the street can you call an ambulance everybody will whip at their phones i don't think there's like a single person walking around without a phone in their pocket but back in the day phone box car phone if you're uh if you're um, rich. no exactly yeah yeah so that was the end of that episode Cool. And I went on to watch Series 5, Episode 2. So this was a uh, aftermath, kind of like of um, PJ being blind. And Charlie is basically interviewing some people and they try to intimidate her, but she's ignoring them. PJ is talking about the views from where they were kind of sitting and he's saying that I can see the views in my head. I can still see it in my head. Obviously, I can't see it, but I can kind of see it in here in my head 
and Duncan's like talking to PJ, like trying to, you know, be a mate for him. Then PJ and Duncan are practicing for PJ's birthday gig. They're having issues with sound and they come up with a name for their group and it's known as Grove Matrix. And I like how one of the kids couldn't tell them apart. So he's like, which one's PJ and which one's Duncan? And then PJ goes to see Debbie, but they tell the, but obviously Debbie's mom was like, Debbie's not there and literally Debbie's standing right there, which I thought was really bad. Because obviously he's blind and he can't see. And they're like, you don't, you know that they have other senses as well. I could smell, they can hear, they can do all of those things. And, but, but PJ's like, I know she was there. Like I could smell her perfume. There's Noddy and Angel and they're looking for alligators and they see footprints in the mud and then they run back. But obviously some of the other kids are like, yeah, it's obviously not an alligator because obviously alligator is American. Charlie is encouraging Patsy and tells her to be a better reporter. Patsy goes back to interview some ruffians, but they ignore her. PJ is at this uh, horse riding session for kids or whatever. And Duncan bumps into Debbie in the shop and he wants her to come to PJ's party. But obviously she's like, look, I don't really care. It's none of your business. But, and obviously Debbie's feeling bad. I think she's the one that fired the shot. But Duncan's like, look, it's not her fault. And don't worry about him. He's dealing with it in his own way. And I was thinking, yeah, it is your fault. You didn't shot him. Straight in the face with a paintball. Pretty damn good shot, to be fair. Either he's really unlucky or they're like, you know, they're like marksmen. Maybe. And then uh, PJ is like, he's having fun with the horse. So what he does, he basically kicks the horse and the horse just bolts. And he's just basically like feeling the adrenaline and kind of feeling normal. And then he takes a nasty fall off the horse, but he ends up falling in like this big sack of hay. And it's the night of the party and Grove Matrix make their performing debut and they're singing the song Tonight I'm Free. And I believe this was in the music charts and it didn't chart very well, but it was in the music charts. And it was obviously their first foray into music. And then they get offered to perform at a club from a guy called Carlton. PJ is talking to a girl called Fran. Duncan says that Debbie might be coming, but PJ doesn't really care. Debbie shows up, but she's late, but makes it in time for the blowing out the candles. PJ spills ice cream down his top, and he doesn't like realize that he does it. And the girl is like, talking, going, oh, my God, you're so funny. You got ice cream down your top or whatever. And then, obviously, he gets really embarrassed and runs out. And, obviously, Fran didn't realize that he was blind. And then PJ sees Debbie outside. And she's like, what's the matter with you? And he just says, just hold us, Debbie. And so they just have like a really nice moment. And he's just, she's just hugging him. And he's like, yeah, just hold me. Then I went to series 12, episode six. So this is like a new cast of Bright Grove members. And this is more of what I was watching. I look at the characters and I'm like, oh my God, I remember you. So I see Bradley and he's reading a, a business book and he's learning about speculate to accumulate. But Jeff's not interested in Bradley's latest scheme. Jeff agrees to holding a concert because then it can kind of like, if it doesn't get in the way of building work because he's been given funds to fix the grove. Regina's mum is making her go to the grove even though she doesn't want to go. There's a bring and buy sale set up by Bradley 
and he has a crush on a girl called Sita. And again, Asian character, big ups to Sita. Regina tries to help when she goes to the Grove, but they're not interested. And then Bradley's pretending to everyone that Sita is his girlfriend, but she's furious. And Sita is a, a pretty good singer. And she's singing the song, It's the End of the World, which was originally sung by Skeeter Davis. Why does the sun go on shining? Why does the sea rush to shore? Don't they know it's the end of the world because you don't love me anymore? And yeah, she did, and they're singing that song, and she's um, yeah, she 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 she's singing it in her own nice way, like you're doing you're doing amazing, good for you. And there's a girl called Regine, and she has a mystery date, and she's getting all excited about that. And then you've got like some of the kids, and they're trying to get to the cellar because they want to do like a big magic trick for the big show. They're making Stumpy hide out so that they can do their magic trick. But then once they're all inside, Regina knocks off a gas cylinder. And they're like, what are you playing at? You knocked over the gas cylinder. And they basically all run. Regina is upset. And she's obviously struggling to adapt to changes. Jeff is trying to find Bradley and Sita as well. And they're basically warning Bradley to shift all this stuff. Regine is climbing up steps in an abandoned building to her date. And she finally reaches to her date, Liam. The power blows, because obviously I think one of the girls are trying to use it for their um, set or their concert. The power blows and everyone has to get out. Stumpy is still inside because of the magic trick. And obviously the kids are like, we're going to try and get him out. Jeff goes looking for him and finds him. And he's like to um, Stumpy, look, get out, get out. I'm going to have a look at this gas cylinder. He looks at the gas cylinder that drops. And then the next thing you know, the grove blows up in flames with Jeff inside. And I remember this. This was so sad. Jeff. I don't remember it. He had an awesome beard, though. Mutton chops, I think, with the going on, didn't he? Yeah. And yeah, I watched the next episode, which was Jeff's funeral. Everyone's getting ready. Claire doesn't go to the funeral because she feels really guilty about the plug socket blown up. And Ben is like, yeah, it's your fault. And he's always Stumpy's fault as well for being stuck inside there. Everyone's finding it hard to imagine the Grove without Jeff. PJ and Duncan make an appearance and they're saying what they do and they think they work for like um, a charity. The kids feel bad about the oxygen cylinder and Regina's overhearing the, uh, the people talking about what the fire investigators were saying. PJ is kind of making jokes about being blind. And I think he was saying, oh, oh, if I could watch Newcastle in the in the cup final, like, uh, it's a good job I couldn't see them perform that badly in the cup final. Like, just kind of, like, being really cool and relaxed about it. Everybody's reading their eulogy. And Sita is singing the End of the World song that I just mentioned. Stumpy is feeling very guilty about what happened. PJ and Duncan are giving advice to a girl because I think her boyfriend has got a disability. Greg, who fell off the the bike from the Grove, as I mentioned, as one of the major storylines. And they're basically saying, look, the most important thing is that they want normality. They don't want you feeling sorry for them. They don't want you to kind of mollycoddle them. They just want normality more than anything in the world. 
Then Ben and Ollie are basically on a war pass because they think that the kids are carrying on as normal because they come back, I think, to the Grove. And they're just basically having a wake. There's, like, food. They're playing a bit of music. Obviously, they're like, look, someone's just died and you're just carrying on as normal. Like, what the hell's wrong with you guys? And they're just basically bickering and blaming one another. And then I think they kind of remind each other that Jeff wouldn't want them bickering. And Ollie's like, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. And then they just play the music. And they wanted, and they thought that Jeff wanted to life to go on as normal, and that they won't forget him. And they're planning a memorial for Jeff, and they want to kind of do like the whole party that they were going to do, at a time capsule. Ben, meanwhile, is trying to get with Claire, but she just wants to talk. The kids are planning the concert as a tribute to Jeff, and Tina's telling them that someone new is going to be taking over the Grove. The kids tell Tina about the oxygen cylinder falling, but it's not their fault. And the person who takes over is a black guy called Achille. So he was in charge of the Grove and he was the Jeff. And I remember him very, very well. And again, it was really, really cool. And it kind of showed off the diversity of Biker Grove. The finale now, honestly, this was one of the wackiest, goofiest, episodes of children's television that you're ever likely to see so it starts off with everything in freeze frame is anything real but we kind of know the kind of main story is that the council is selling the grove and they're basically telling them that they have to end the story so they have to end the story in their own way so they have to write their own ending and achilles basically showing some of them an empty kind of abyss Whereas I look, that's 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 the ending. That's where we're all gonna be. And so the kids are kind of writing about what they want to do and what they kind of want to do after the Grove. So one of them wants to be a businessman, one wants to be a model, and they're just writing all these stories. They're playing the Jurassic Park theme. So I think I'm not sure how they could afford that. But obviously, I think it was the BBC, so they just thought let's just uh, go out with a bang. And yeah, I'm not even a fan of Jurassic Park, but even I know the. Uh, the theme song. You're not a fan of Jurassic Park? I, I wasn't crazy about Jurassic Honestly, Park. Honestly, it's one of the best films ever made, ever. It wasn't, wasn't for me, Clive. It wasn't for me. I think, I think maybe the first one. First one was kind of dope. And maybe The Lost World as well. Okay, I, I maybe them two. But that's about as far as you're going to get me. I... All right, fair enough. I mean, I, I, I've uh, everything dinosaurs, yeah. And there's someone called Dom and he returns... And Stumpy wants to kind of be, and, and Stumpy's digging and he wants to take a part of the grove with him. Achilles' daughter saying that they owe the grove and people need to stop being greedy with their wishes. Dom is talking to someone called Chrissy and he's saying that she's the one for him and he loves her. But Chrissy thinks it's a trick by the kids. It's unwritten, so the kids had nothing to do with it. So the kids have a plan to buy the grove from the developers because obviously someone wished to be a successful billionaire, millionaire with lots of money. But obviously the five million pound wish that they made is vanished because the writer wants a more believable ending. And Lou comes and she's basically saying to some of the kids, that, look, I've applied for um, adoption so you guys can come stay with me for as long as you want. There's a protest taking place to save the Grove. Stumpy looks at the treasure chest. Stumpy finds like a, a chest or like a treasure chest of some sort inside the, the gardens of the Grove. And there's gold inside, and he uses the gold to buy the grove, and it stays open. 
and the kids realized that they just had to believe in themselves and they could figure it out for themselves. But nevertheless, there's a bunch of kids and they end up blowing up the grove. And the last final moments was just like a picture montage of all of the memories of the bill, of the bill, of Biker Grove. I don't know why I said the bill. For. I don't know why I said it. Yeah, I know why. Yeah, I don't know why I've got the bill and the saxophone in my head, but yeah. And obviously, again, the BBC thought we might as well go out with a bang because they use In My Life by the Beatles. Obviously, YouTube cut it off because obviously the Beatles don't want their music being played free by some uh, some jamoke who put up the uh, I shouldn't call I shouldn't call this person a jamoke because they worked incredibly hard to put all of these um, episodes up. They're, it's been covered by many many different artists, but no, it was a very nice song and very nice classic way to kind of end. And it's very apt. Obviously, yeah, there's places in your life that you remember. Some of them are dead, some of them are living. And you and you often stop and think about those moments in your life. And it was like, yeah, really, really nice way to to end a show that had a, an incredible run for 18 years, 18, 89, 2006, so yeah, 17, 18 years. And 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 they and they definitely made the most of it. So yeah, that was Biker Grove. Biker, biker. Biker Grove. It was a great, great theme song. It was classic. And uh, yeah, it deserves its flowers. Shout out to uh, everybody who was in Biker Grove. Sajid Vada was in Biker Grove. I know that guy. I tried to find episodes of him in, but I couldn't. Um, I didn't have time to watch all through them. I don't know her. Sorry. Him? In the words Sajid of Mariah Vada. Carey. In the, Mar- in the words of Mariah Carey. It's like a famous Mariah Carey gif. But obviously, you're behind the curve when it comes to uh, um, look everything popular culture you've done today. I've not, I've not been on it. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, like it's, it's the Mariah Carey. I don't know her. <laughs> yeah, that's that's yeah. That person, I don't know. I don't know who that person is, and I ain't see him in any Backgrove episodes I watched. So uh, there you go. And on that note, we will bring it to an end, and it's the end of the back to school month. But Black History Month. Coming yes. up. So, the full 30 days as well, 31 days. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, you've got Black History Month. So, yeah, for the next month, we'll be doing all black everything. So, we've, do you know, we've covered so many amazing Black History Month shows. Like, well, yeah. You know, black shows in Black History Month. Yeah. We've discovered so many decent shows. I don't think we've discovered Good a times. bad one. Family Matters, 227, That's My Mama, What's Happening. Uh, Sanford and Son. We did Fresh Plate. We did Fresh Prince. We just like, what was that crazy one? The, 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 um, God, we did so much. We did um, the Hughleys. Uh, oh, that was amazing. That was one of my favorite ones. So many we did. So many, and we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna try and uncover and discover some more. So uh, definitely watch this space and look out for those episodes that come out in the next month or so. Warm welcome to listeners from South Africa. South Africa, nice. Bafana, Bafana. We've got listeners in South Africa. So uh, it always makes me happy when I see African countries listening to my podcast. So of yeah, you know, the, the motherland. I've got, I've, got, I've got to hold it down for the motherland. So uh, welcome, my South African friends. And uh, there's plenty more where they, they came from. So uh, do listen. And uh, Yesterday's Capers is available wherever you get your podcast from. We're available on all the podcast platforms, so definitely go out of your way and look out for them. 
They're available every Friday or Saturday, so definitely watch this space. Also, we're on the socials. On Instagram, it's Yesterday's Capers 1. On Twitter, it's Yesterday Capers. YouTube.com forward slash Yesterday's Capers. Facebook.com forward slash Yesterday's Capers. You can find me on the socials at Abdullah underscore Merlim on Instagram. On Twitter, it's Abdullah Merlim, all one word. Give me a holler, give me a shout, and join us next time for another episode of Yesterday's Capers. Yesterday's Capers.